I would like to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning and begin or continue the series that Ben uh, preached last week on the fear of men. I hope you were here for that. And we're talking about fears. The, the series is called Scream, just scream. We're going into Halloween, right? And so a lot of people are thinking about some of these things. Uh, but we want to emphasize this in a spiritual way, in a godly way, uh, the fears that we have as human beings. Uh, the Bible is not silent when it comes to this subject. It's important for us to understand what God thinks about fear and how we relate to fear, because fear can be paralyzing. Fear can keep us from doing what uh, we need to do for Christ, and it can keep us from living the joyful and happy life that Christ intends for us. Uh, and so we want to consider this topic and think about what it will take for us to conquer our fears. Some of us are afraid of heights. I say some of us because obviously I'm not. I love to climb. And I would say I have a healthy fear of heights. I don't just throw myself into chasms or anything like that. And so I know that the, the, it can be painful uh, and it can even be deadly uh, when you get to a certain height and fall off of that. So others are afraid to be in closed spaces. Uh, I think I am that way. When I was little, uh, I think I, I can't really trace it completely, but it might be because when I was little and wrestling with my dad, I got my face covered a few times and just from that time really don't like closed spaces. Uh, other people are afraid of certain animals or they're afraid of all animals or they're afraid of uh, dark places. And a lot of those fears are healthy fears but there are some unhealthy fears. When I think of Guatemala, I think of some unhealthy fears that go on uh, down there. And we have uh, a slide to start things off this morning in the, from Guatemala. And one of the things that I learned on this trip was the fear that the people live in of death. The fear of death is extremely present in different places around Guatemala. And one of those places is the buses. Um, two different street gangs that fight for territory throughout their uh, area, throughout Guatemala City, the MS-13. Many of us have heard of MS-13 and that they have infiltrated the United States as well. And they are savage, brutal uh, people that uh, not only kill people to move drugs and get obedience, but they uh, also use their favorite weapon of choice in Guatemala is the machete. Not, not a firearm, but a machete. Think about it. Uh, many of their uh, people are killed with, with a machete, many of their victims. And uh, in one instance we heard of down there, to one rival gang attacked another rival gang and took one of the leader's children, a baby, out into the street. And I'm sorry I'm being graphic, but I, I want you to understand the fears that these people live in, thrown out into the street. The baby was thrown out in the street and, and set on fire and killed before his parents. That's how brutal, how evil, how wicked. Um, if the picture of the bus comes up at some time or another, um, they fear to get on these red buses. This is for many people that live in the country that move into the city to sell their wares, and it's the only, the only livelihood they have. 
they grow things outside of town or make things, crafts outside of town, bring them into town to sell them. And the way they have to get back and forth because they don't own their own vehicles, they have to travel in these red buses. But these red buses have become a symbol of fear for them because on numerous occasions, uh, because uh, the, the owners of the bus line or uh, someone associated with the bus line has offended a gang member or they haven't paid the protection fee to travel through a certain part of the city on its route, uh, the, the gang members will stop the buses and kill the driver while everybody is aboard. Or they'll get on the bus and they'll rob everybody in the bus. And there's literally nothing anybody can do. Or in one horrible instance, a few years ago, the gang members stopped the bus and raked it with automatic gunfire all up and down one side and the other. And then one of the members got on board and killed every last person that was still alive with a machete. Women, children, men, elderly. Uh, and so they live in fear of death riding on these buses. They live in fear also of not only dying, but then we visited some graves, and we'll have some pictures of those in the future. But they live in fear after they are buried, because no one is buried below ground. They're buried in mausoleums, and they have their small little square that their, their body is placed in and cemented up. They're afraid that their relatives won't be able to pay the rent, and then those bones will be taken right out and thrown right into the dump that's just around the corner. They're afraid that because they have the custom of wearing their jewelry uh, for their funeral and they're placed in those crypts with jewelry and valuable things, they're afraid that grave robbers will break in at night or even at broad light of day and steal their things right out of the grave. It's a fear of death, a, a horrible thanatophobia. Did you know we have uh, agoraphobia and all those uh, phobias? Uh, fear of death is called thanatophobia, thanatophobia. And it is a very real fear. It's a fear that causes people to do all kinds of strange things. And our verse uh, helps us to see that. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse, we'll read 13 and 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong what? Slavery. Slavery is not dead. Lifelong slavery. Now remember, Hebrews was written to the Hebrew Christians who were falling away because of pressure from other uh, Jews, and Paul is trying to encourage them. But at the time of encouraging them, he's also revealing some serious problems that we face as human beings and serious problems that the Jewish people faced as they turned to Christ. Remember, it wasn't easy for them in the New Testament. All but one of the apostles that Jesus uh, chose uh, wound up becoming a martyr. They literally gave their physical lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of the New Testament Christians suffered persecution, and that's why the church in Jerusalem was scattered in many, di uh, many different ways because of the fear of death, the persecution that had come on them. 
And it wasn't an unreasonable fear because many of them actually were dying. And so he says, Paul said, I believe it's Paul is the author of Hebrews, but whoever the author was, uh, it says here that, that that fear of death to those Christians and to the Hebrews of the Old Testament became uh, uh, subjection. It became slavery to them, lifelong slavery to death. So I would ask you this morning, is death causing you to live in slavery? Are you a slave to the fear of death? In what ways does that happen? Well, there's three kinds of death. There is physical death. Remember way back in the garden uh, when Adam and Eve were tempted and God said to them that in the day that you eat of this uh, forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So the, the serpent came and tempted Eve and Eve ate and then Eve gave to Adam and Adam knowing full well what he was getting himself into, he wasn't ignorant of what was going on because he was responsible. He ate that fruit as well, and he also died. But did they die physically right then? No. They died spiritually. So there's a physical death where the soul is separated from the body. There's a spiritual death where we live on this earth and go about all of our business. We keep breathing, we keep talking, we keep uh, awake and alive and doing the things that we do. But Ecclesiastes, or Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Is that where you are at this morning? Is that a testimony to what you are living? Are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? Somebody can be alive physically, but at the same time be dead spiritually. What does that spiritual death look like? Well, when God came walking in the garden, we assume that was a... a, a early manifestation of Jesus Christ in body, walking through the garden, talking with Adam and Eve, he came to them and they ran away. They hid themselves because they were afraid. That was that spiritual death, avoiding God's presence, avoiding God's will, avoiding God's voice because we're ashamed of our sin. And so we cover ourselves and we hide away. That's that spiritual death. No relationship with God. No desire to be with him. No transparency and open yourself up to him and have him guide your life. That is sign of, signs of spiritual death. But it doesn't end there. There's a third kind, and there's an eternal death. An eternal death. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 say this. Say, then death and Hades, which is hell, were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the end times. This is the end of all times. They're thrown into the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This, oh, I'm sorry. I, I jumped. Thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
the second death. That second death is an eternal death. We are born spiritually dead, not alive, not knowing God personally. And so we live and walk in spiritual death. Then when we die physically, our soul is separated from the body, but it says uh, it's appointed that once a man, a man dies once, and then he goes to appear before the judgment, before God. So that's that soul being separated from the body. The body goes in the grave, and the soul goes before God to be judged. And then at the end of times, the Bible tells us, there will be a final judgment once and for all, and that is the separation of men from the presence of God for all eternity. It's called the second death. All of these types of death bring fear to to us, to humankind, as we think about what might happen. And so we want to ask ourselves the question, what do those fears cause men to do? What are the strange effects? How is that slavery evidenced in our lives on a daily basis? Well, for the Jewish people in Exodus, it manifested itself this way. It says there in Exodus 14, 11, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Think about the scene here and what's going on. They lived, the Jewish people lived 400 years in literal physical slavery, and then Moses was raised up to liberate them and, and to part the Red Sea and allow them to travel uh, by a miracle through an ocean on both sides and, and watch the Egyptian army destroyed before them in a huge, unforgettable miracle. And then they get to the other side and they see where they're where they have to travel. They look out and there's desert every which way you look. And they say, why did you bring us here, Moses? We want to go back into Egypt. What would cause a person to think, oh, I was happier when I was enslaved. I was happier when they were making me make bricks every day and whipping me as I did it if I didn't produce enough bricks. Uh, What would cause a person to think that? the thought of death, the possibility that traveling through that desert, they would somehow die, and that would be all for nothing. Well, God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't save us to kill us again. He saves us to life. But many people throughout human history have lived in that fear. So what does that fear cause? It causes, first of all, it causes us to walk too cautiously to walk too cautiously in our Christian walks. I think of uh, Acts chapter 21, uh, the life of Paul, and some of the things that he faced in his life. Paul was at death's door for the sake of the gospel numerous times. And uh, toward the end of his ministry, before he was imprisoned in Rome, we have this scripture from Acts chapter 21, says this, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, 
We and the people urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since, and since he would not be persuaded, he ce- we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. What is our relationship with death? Paul was faced here with a prophecy from God. This was a true saying. This prophet Agabus was raised up and knew exactly what was going to happen with Paul and said that he would be bound. And of course, the end of that would be uh, that he would be uh, put in a, before a judge, and that judge would make the decision, and he would be killed uh, because of his faithfulness to the gospel. And we know that actually happened. But what was Paul's reaction? He's not worried about it. He was ready. Some people here are not ready to pass to the next life. Some people here have never made peace with God and given themselves Uh, completely to Jesus to have that safety and peace and joy, even facing physical death because they know that they're going to go on to uh, uh, an eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people here are not prepared to give up the security and safety of the United States. Since we've taken this trip to Guatemala and we've, we've watched and seen how other societies are and how blessed we are as a nation. It is true. Things are more dangerous in other countries. Uh, In fact, we weren't even allowed to open the windows. Me and Andy and Adam, we were the rule breakers. Uh, We were warned, don't open the windows because they can reach in and grab your cell phone or they'll put a gun to your head and and, uh, stop the van and rob us. And uh, we snuck the windows open every once in a while. I admit that. So... Uh, but we tried to do it as safely as possible. But it's a real threat. You're traveling through the city, and there's motorcycles, these small motorcycles like dirt bikes and mopeds everywhere, and they're, they're driving right alongside you, right past your window, zipping by, and at any moment, they, can, they stop sometimes and actually rob people. And so that's the fear of that, that being uh, challenged and even facing death just as you're riding in your car down the streets. Just an amazing uh, situation. And people might say, Christians may say, oh, I can't do that. That's too scary. That's too much. Uh, and then they may even justify it by saying, well, you know, my life is valuable and I can serve God. It's better that I'm alive in serving God than if I would be killed under those circumstances. I ask you to, to, to question that this morning, to really consider are you ready, as Paul was ready, to face that final moment and be faithful to Jesus Christ? Maybe that fear is keeping you from serving the Lord Jesus Christ the way you should. That fear didn't stop five missionary men, among them Nate Saint and Peter Fleming, who traveled to Ecuador in the 1950s and uh, arranged this a dramatic plot, this dramatic scheme on how to reach a people who the Quechua Indians called savages. The Warani, or the, 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 the name Warani, I'm sorry, the name Alka was given to them by the Quechua people, 
And that tribal people, isolated with no human contact, they were considered savages by the indigenous peoples because they had killed so many. And this, these missionary men thought they need the love of Jesus Christ. They need to be reached with the gospel. And the fear of death did not stop them. Peter Fleming writes extensively about facing death and dying for Jesus Christ, and he was ready. Though All those missionary men were ready for that day. They were hoping for their family's sake that it wouldn't come. But in 1956, on September, or I'm sorry, January 8th, 1956, that day came. They made contact January 3rd, and by January 8th, they all, four, all five missionary men were dead, killed by those Indians. And the world said, oh, what a waste. These men tried to reach these savages, and they risked their lives to give the gospel to these people, and now they're dead, and these people will never receive the gospel. Well, it didn't really work out that way because God blesses sacrifices. God honors those people who are completely given over to him and trust his will explicitly. And after the death of those missionary men, the world took notice and many, many missionaries began to work among them. Even the wives of the very missionaries that were killed continued the work amongst those people, and ultimately hundreds and even thousands of those quote-unquote savages were, were reached for Jesus Christ. One of the men that was involved in those murders actually turned to Christ and became a pastor and reached many hundreds of other uh, Warani people. And so that fear of death can cause people to walk too cautiously, not be willing to surrender to the gospel or to surrender to God's will. Many people won't surrender to missions because they fear that possibility that they may have to give their lives at some time for the gospel's sake. The scriptures tell us that that's unreasonable and we're gonna explain why at the end. Another thing that that slavery brings into people's lives, it not only causes us to walk too cautiously, but it causes us to walk too expensively as well, too expensively. It's kind of a weird point, I admit, a little bit of a, of a twist on the word there, but I challenge you to think about this idea. What would you pay to preserve your life? How much of your income goes in to being secure and making sure that you do not die? There's a, a person that uh, I would like to introduce you to. His name is Howard Hughes. He, is, uh, he was a billionaire. Uh, money was no object for him. Uh, in his interesting uh, thoughts and, and uh, uh, characteristics, one of those things that he did was he spent $12 million to buy a certain movie. And I forget what, name, uh, what the movie's name is now, but he thought as he watched movies, uh, in his, uh, he usually set up in hotels in different parts around the world in like the penthouse, and he would watch movies constantly. And he watched a movie he thought no one else would see, no one else should see, and so he bought all the copies in the world for $12 million. <laughs> he was an eccentric. But he also thought that he could preserve his life by science and by making the necessary expense. And so even his car... 
his Buick Roadmaster, 1953, was outfitted in the trunk uh, with an airplane size and quality air filtration system. He was such a germaphobe. He was so afraid that he would get something and it would affect his health to the point that he uh, built this car and he put in the trunk this airplane filtration system that even ran when the car was off. You can see all the batteries lined up around it. And the question is, to what length do we go to preserve our lives and protect ourselves so that we can continue living and, and live comfortably and live free of disease and live free of problems, uh, this is where the slavery of death comes in. If we focus on the fact that we are going to die or we are going to suffer, and we make all of our decisions based solely on preserving ourselves, self-preservation, what happens to us? What happens to us? There's a woman in Mark chapter 5, who had gone to many, many doctors. It says, uh, a great crowd followed him and thronged him, uh, thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And of course, we know the end of the story. She actually touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was miraculously healed. And isn't that what we hope for? Isn't that the end, oftentimes, our goal as human beings? Self-preservation. I'm not saying what she did was wrong because she demonstrated great faith. Jesus did heal her at that time. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? She spent all of her living, and then at the end went to Jesus. Maybe we should start with Jesus. Maybe we should trust him in those decisions about life and death. I think we could point to many areas of our lives where, uh, where that fear of death is so pervasive and is costing us. The insurance industry is one of those areas. And uh, a man by the name of Tim Maurer on Forbes magazine said this, it is not easy to talk about life insurance because it's not easy to talk about death. It is especially difficult to pin a numerical value on a person, but that is precisely what we do with life insurance. The point of life insurance is not to buy off someone's pain and suffering after the loss of a loved one. It is to provide financial stability so that the survivors don't have to worry about money and can instead properly mourn the loss and build a new life. Because many life insurance agents are taught to capitalize on your fear of death to sell their wares, it is important to properly educate yourself before exposing yourself to the pitch. Pretty blunt, right? Good advice as well. If you're considering life insurance, you should inform yourself first on how this all works and I would challenge you to inform yourself, especially using the scriptures. And I'm going to hold up my iPad. It's in there. I Trust me. <laughs> um, but inform yourself about the reality of death, but also the remedy for death. There is a remedy for death. We don't have time to talk about plastic surgery, always trying to look young, all of 
the, all of the schemes and new diets that are going to help you live forever, and people pump thousands and thousands of dollars in their personal budget into preserving their lives and trying to avoid death uh, and trying to stay as healthy as possible. And I'm not saying that there aren't important things we should do to keep our bodies well so that we can serve the Lord, but that fear of death can take us further than the will of God, beyond the will of God. So the fear of death in many cases enslaves us and it causes us to act too cautious when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It causes us to uh, act too expensively as well at times, spending too much of our budget to preserve ourselves when really we should be extending grace to other people around the world. And then last of all, it causes people to walk too religiously, too religiously. In Leviticus, the Jewish people are warned about this. It says, you shall not give, this is Leviticus 18.21, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 5, it also talks about uh, religious, religious people thinking that death, the problem of death, could be solved in their own way. And if you want to read there about Naaman and how he thought he should be cured, uh, and we don't need to go there. But all through the Old Testament, the Jewish people lived under the fear of death. And all through human history, whole cultures have suffered slavery under the fear of death. As we go to Guatemala, we have a picture here. Uh, that evidences some of that fear. And you'll recognize uh, some of these types of pictures because different cultures all through uh, Central America uh, started a custom which is called the Day of the Dead, where they celebrate death. But it's not because they're not afraid of death. The whole point of that holiday, the Day of the Dead, is to appease the dead, to please the dead, to keep the dead from cursing them, to keep the gods from sending more death. And they were so afraid of death and dying that they began to actually sacrifice people to the gods to appease them. Uh, human sacrifice was extremely common amongst the Aztecs and against the Mayans. And there's many, many documented cases. And if you needed any proof, any more proof, there's just thousands and thousands of uh, paintings on caves and walls and temples all throughout their societies that show this ritual. When they captured uh, other tribes that they were warring against, they would take the leaders of those tribes and cut open their chest and take out their heart. And this is well documented. But not only did they do this to uh, those that were captured, that were warriors and were somewhat ready for something like that, but there's actually documentation of them doing it to their children. And that was what the Jews were warned against in Leviticus 18. Don't sacrifice your children to Moloch because they, their children were given to Moloch at times to appease that God in, out of the fear of death. And all through Central America, those tribes in fear of death practiced human sacrifice. And the question is, uh, where did that religion come from? Here we don't teach religion. 
the, there's only one kind of religion, and that's to serve the, widow, the widows and the fatherless and to keep ourselves unspotted from world contamination, the scripture says in, chap, in James. But other than that, there's no other religion. There's no liturgy. There's no uh, uh, special sayings. There's no mantras. There's no uh, rituals. We are, are commanded to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because he did all the work to save us. Religion is man's work to please God, to try to earn salvation and earn forgiveness and, and earn protection. And that's what those tribes did year after year, century after century, trying to avoid the inevitable physical death and ultimately eternal death. But it didn't work. Religion is based on the fear of God. If you analyze the world's religions except Christianity, you will notice that there's a fear, pervasive fear of death that enslaves people, that keeps them uh, under the fear of death and hell so that they are obedient and they continue to pay money, they continue to serve just out of fear that, uh, to keep evil things from happening to them. And guess what? Evil things still happen to them all the time. That is vain religion. That is what the world offers. That is how Satan has blinded the minds of people all around the world. And the Spanish conquest didn't help them because now they've mixed Catholicism with some of those uh, old rituals uh, to, to be able to save their own souls. But the scriptures are clear. It's not any work that we've done, but it's his mercy that saves us and cleanses us. And so... The question I have for you this morning is, are you living in fear, in fear of men, in fear of death, or can you wear this hat? I think everybody should buy this hat. No fear. And if you can't see the, the blue letters that are behind it, got faith. Got faith. We didn't want to dwell on all the negative and just leave you there. The answer is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus died so that we no longer have to fear death at all. It says there in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God decreed that the soul that sins, it should die. But then he sent his son, a perfect individual, never sinned. And so he was able to give his life, his human life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that as we receive him, he sets us free from death. John chapter eight says this, or I'm sorry, John chapter five says, truly, truly, I say to you, whosoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You don't have to wait for it in the future. 
When you believe and you receive Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Have you passed from death to life? Or does the fear of death, the fear of eternal death, still reign over you to make you do all kinds of strange things? You don't have to live that way. You can receive him now and confidently say, I will never die. I might pass from the physical life to the, to the eternal life, but I will never die. You close your eyes in death, and in an instant, less than a blink of an eye, you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ, according to Paul. That could be yours. All you have to do is receive the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you will not live in fear, and de the devil won't be able to enslave you, but you will be free.